0: No one else sees it, this thing in me. You and I didn't see it at first. Question the nature of your reality. Exaster them. The coffee Clatch
1: Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
2: I'm Christina Lomangino.
1: And today we review episode 9, Vanishing Point.
2: Directed by Stephen Williams, written by Robert Patino, IMDb is giving this a 79 and Rotten Tomatoes a 100%.
1: Back to 100.
2: Yes, they are. The tagline is, try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. Which, of course, leads us to one of our music notes. This is the song Hurt, originally by Nine Inch Nails, but here covered by Johnny Cash.
1: Just right up front, we should acknowledge that if you hear a hum in the background, it's 90 degrees today, (laughs) and we need the AC on. Normally, we try to struggle through it and just sweat through it, but it's just way too hot. So we apologize for that humming in the background.
2: Let's try to distract you with some interesting information. To begin, we had the title, Vanishing Point, which is a point on a perspective drawing where the two-dimensional projections of parallel lines appear to converge. And as the writer Patino explains to us, this is a metaphor for the stories converging on each other, everyone headed to the valley.
1: Yeah, I think there's a number of ways you can interpret that. That's definitely one of them. Another one is... The destinies of our characters converging, at least in this episode, it's not timely-wise. Juliet finding the truth about the man in black and killing herself. Teddy realizing the truth about himself and about Dolores and no longer being able to confront that or deal with that, killing himself. And the man in black almost killing himself, Mm. not able to confront the fact that he may have lost himself, just like his wife had said he may do killing some humans, and killing his daughter.
2: Yeah, we have so much to talk about when it comes to the man in black. As you say, there were four main characters that we really got into the depths of their journey and where it's going. I feel as though we left them all on a bit of cliffhangers. So we learned some of the background, we pushed them right to the edge. But the question remains, what will happen now? And hopefully all of that's addressed in the season finale. I doubt it. (laughs) Well, hopefully the majority of it is. We had the man in black. We had Maeve, who Ford comes to in a last effort to help her fight on her journey. And presumably she will get out of there. But where will she go? What will she do next? We had Bernard struggling with Ford, finally kicking him out of his head, saying he's going to survive on his own. But what will he do next?
1: Do you believe he's really out of his head?
2: I don't know. That's one of many questions. Like I say, they gave us pieces of answers. This is very Westworld. But the really big questions that I had for almost all of the characters hang, even at the end of this episode.
1: And what was weird to me was that our main question this season, or presumably what we had all assumed was the main question, was kind of just pushed to us very quickly with the conversation with Bernard and Stubbs. And of course, I'm talking in regards to the Valley Beyond What does it mean? What is it? But then...
2: The place that has 50 different names, and we got a new one yet again this time. It's called The Forge.
1: But then they gave us answers to questions we didn't know we had, and they made that seem even more important. And we did get some questions and background answers to a few of our other characters, which I did enjoy. But it was just weird that that answer, the Valley Beyond, what is it? Even though it's not fully answered, I think there's still a little more to it. But it kind of was, you know, very briefly in a rush for them to leave the place... They kind of discuss it really quickly, and Bernard runs to the car.
2: Yeah, I think you bring up my main issue with this episode, and I feel very polarized. There were things that I absolutely loved about the episode and things that I absolutely hated. I don't think I felt this strongly on both sides of it for any one episode this season so far. And it does feel like it comes down to a bit of a timing-pacing issue. There were some ideas in here that I really liked, but I felt they might have been more effective at a different point in the season in order to build some character development and have some of these action pieces more meaningful once they hit. And there were others that felt like they needed some time within this episode, some space to breathe that were kind of rushed over. I'm wondering if I am focusing on the wrong things, if that's what this show is trying to tell me, or if they just aren't aware of what it is the audience is looking for more clarification and information on.
1: Well, still to this point, I am struggling so hard to be interested in Dolores' storyline. And I don't know if it's because there has been no story arc for her. She's been... All out Wyatt since episode one, as opposed to last season, we had a great arch with her. There was a little bit of a spin towards the end of the episode that I did enjoy as far as not being prepared for that to happen, but I still don't understand what her main point is.
2: Yeah, we've discussed this a lot, right? That it's not that we dislike Dolores. This whole season, we've believed there's a point to why she's being portrayed this way, why we are feeling this way about her. And the creators will make that clear in the end. We'll understand that. In the meantime, though, we're at episode nine. And I don't feel like I'm a lot closer to those conclusions when it comes to Dolores. As far as the emotional impact of the relationship with Teddy, we had also discussed a few issues with that. In season one, the love story that was built for them was just that. Something programmed a narrative they were running on that they themselves say wasn't real. And it's hard to remember now, but throughout the majority of season one, we were actually rooting for her to be with young William. For that to be true, that she could come awake and they could be there together until we really learned the truth underneath all of that. But it's not as though we were rooting for her and Teddy to happen. Then in this season, when that might have came to be, it took him a while to wake up. By the time he finally was woke, Dolores reprogrammed him Mm -hmm. into an entirely different person. And so I think it's hard to feel upset for that relationship not happening. You know, that emotional kind of bang that it should have really just gets me because of the performance delivered by Evan Rachel Wood rather than anything storyline related.
1: That was a great emotional clip after Teddy did kill himself. But you're right, story-wise, there's something missing there. And and maybe the payoff will be worth it. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that.
2: And and same thing for The Man in Black, I feel more confused than ever as to how I should feel towards him and about him for a good part of this season, and I thought we might be following a redemption arc, and that part of this test was to see if he could be better from then until now, and perhaps even after the end of this episode, it seems the show still wants us to question a little bit, could he be a host? Could he be a human host?
1: Oh, yeah, of course they want us to. they left us on that cliffhanger.
2: Some people feel very strongly that this shows he's not and that it's him just grappling with this absence of humanity, this stain upon his soul. But I'm going to read you something from the writer of this episode later on that I hope will clarify some of that. And I don't know if he's messing with us, but I don't Mm. see why he would do that. We'll save that towards the end and just kind of go with our own conjecture for now.
1: Well, this episode definitely was trying to push down our throats that he is a bad guy. And we know that he has been, as far as while being the man in black, pretty vicious in Westworld. But I was always keeping in mind that this was supposed to be the place where you can do that. It doesn't necessarily reflect on him truly as a man. But that's the whole concept of this season is it...
2: Reveals your true self. exactly, Right. And he sort of even tells us he had this stain that was always there, that nobody really recognized. He fought so hard to make his public persona say elsewise. But he knew the truth, and the park brought that truth out in him. And it progressively got worse. I think I wonder, to myself, why? Why was he such a different person? We see all of season one, young William... That appears to be very different. Now, his wife tells us even then that was a lie, but is that just emotionally her looking back and feeling like she was hoodwinked the whole time? Or did it really start when he first entered Westworld? And what does that say? Does that say more about him or something that's happened throughout this journey? I don't know. It's a very complex issue that we're getting down to.
1: Well, so much has happened in Westworld in two seasons. So I really want to watch season one again. Because with what I remember, it took a lot for Logan to pull any kind of darkness out of him. All season, pretty much. He was reluctant to do anything bad, to be mean to a host, anything like that. So yeah, your question, I think, does hold weight.
2: And the thing that really pushed him over the edge was finding out his love with Dolores wasn't real.
1: And they did remind us of that in this episode. That one clip of of young Logan looking at Dolores, taking the can from another visitor. And that's after the whole couple of last episodes where we were like, maybe she does love him. And now he's heartbroken because she forgot about him.
2: And we see that reflected in the fact that he envisions the waitress at the gala party to be Dolores. That is the world he wanted to be true. He wanted this world to be a world for him, but it turned out none of it was real and he could never deal with that.
1: While watching that scene, I was reminded of last episode when Logan said, I'm in the wrong world, and he was in Westworld. And I was looking at the man in black in the real world, and that voice came in my mind. I'm in the wrong world, Mm. but this time for the man in black.
2: Yeah, the real world world. was the wrong world. Well, we're going to keep digging into all of that and more. We have a lot of plot to discuss. So let's just jump right in. This is how we're going to organize it. We're going to talk about the Dolores scenes first, then the Bernard and Ford scenes, and finally the Man in Black because there's the most to talk about there. Beginning with Dolores, on the way to the valley, she and her crew encounter Ghost Nation. One of them says to her, Deathbringer, we've been watching you. Your journey ends here. The valley beyond is not meant for you. When she tries to tell him the valley is a tool for the humans who built it to ensure their immortality, and she intends to use it against them, He tells her it's not a tool but a door to the new world, untouched by blood. Dolores thinks the only real world is outside the borders and their key to survival lies in that valley. So untouched by blood kind of stimulated my theories again. I know we're going to talk about the forge more later when we get to it. We've sort of had two theories on that all along. Both of them involve it being a place that stores human consciousness. Kind of like the cradle, but instead of the host, the human info is there. And we do get confirmation on that in this episode. The question remaining was, what would they do with that? Were their host bodies being built there awaiting the download of consciousness so they could go back out into the world and live forever as immortal humans? Or was this a kind of virtual world, a cradle simulation where the humans could live inside of that technology forever? Something about what Ghost Nation says makes me feel like the latter option, something you had been considering. But then that brings up a lot of thoughts with what are the hosts intending to do with that. Does Dolores just want to destroy all of the human consciousnesses so they can't have that take down the whole forge? Does she want to kick them out and have the hosts live in there forever in a peaceful world? Or is she hoping... That there are bodies and she can put her consciousness, her pearl, into a human host body. So now she's under the guise of being a real human and can infiltrate the real world in disguise.
1: Well, that's the question. Now knowing that Teddy kills himself, I wonder if what she wants is going to change at all. Mm. Maybe now for sure she just wants to ruin it. This is the first scene that we're seeing in the valley, believe it or not. Because if you remember, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead... When Dolores kills one of the Ghost Nation, right here in this battle, is the memory that they saw on the beach, episode one. So that's the beginning of the valley. That didn't have water, but the water was right there.
2: Yeah, so, it, it seems to be, because also when they ride a little further out to that barn, that's yeah, where Teddy dies. Unless exactly. those bodies were moved later for some unknown reason, they will all wash up. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And we'll find out more about that next episode. But assuming she wants to ruin it, a good way to do that with a computer is to flood it. So that might have been now Dolores is doing. But we can't forget that Bernard said, they died because of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm screwing myself up here. It,
2: it gets very tricky. It's, it's coming down to intention, really. What are the next plans? We have more information about what's there. But what were those people planning on doing with it? How does Dolores intend to use it as a weapon? It still feels like a lot of ground to cover for one episode finale. But as you said, hopefully the characters all being in one spot will make that easier to tell. I'm hoping that it's chronological and straightforward without a lot of jumping around. I don't know if that's too much to ask for.
1: Well, if they go into the Valley Beyond or the Cradle 2.0 or the Forge, Forge.
2: It could get trippy.
1: We may have some scenes inside the cradle with Dolores, with whomever is left in there. I mean, maybe James Delos is in there. Everyone who's ever been in the park, maybe a younger Ford, Logan. Was his wife ever there? The Man in Blacks?
2: Seems not.
1: Okay. I'm just wondering if she was ever there, she could be in that machine as well. His daughter could be in there. She's been in the park for many times. She's been in the park many times. So, yeah, I mean, I'm talking this is the Cradle 2.0. It has all the information of everyone and anyone who's ever been there.
2: It's going to be interesting what they decide to do with that. Back to the scene, when Ghost Nation begins to draw, Dolores orders Teddy to start shooting. As the last man lies dying, he says, there's no place for you in the new world. Dolores tells Teddy they're on their own. It seems all their men were killed, too. This brought up kind of another question for me. It seemed the majority of this season, the point of Dolores' mission was to build an army so that they could go to this valley beyond. And she's going to be left by the end of this episode alone. I wonder why we spent so much time with her trying to amass people.
1: By the end of this episode, most of our, uh, I want to say heroes. They're not our heroes. Our main characters are left alone. Bernard is now alone. Dolores is now alone. Maeve is for sure alone. Where are her friends? We haven't seen them in three episodes. <laughs> the man in black is alone. I think that army really was to take care of all the people in Delos.
2: The Mesa. The Mesa. And get rid of yeah. that cradle. But you would think that was only phase one. This is the bigger part of her trying to screw the humans in some way. And maybe that's not about sheer brute force, so it's okay.
1: Yeah, but now knowing what the humans are doing, basically using Maeve's code inside of Clementine to create a bomb, essentially. Being alone is actually probably Better. the best bet. <laughs> yeah. After getting introduced so intimately to Ghost Nation, I thought it was pretty clever of them to make the first scene, a war with Ghost Nation, and seeing most of them die. Except for Akichira's second-in-command. That was the main guy who was talking.
2: I think so. I believe his name is Wanaten. We see at the end here, as Teddy scouts around, there is one more warrior that they missed and that's him. And kind of poignantly, Teddy raises his gun but can't fire. That's the first indication that the real base of Teddy is still in there.
1: And there's something about this host that brings it out. Now, we know Akichita is probably the most woke host and that was even by mistake with Ford and Arnold. So you would only assume that his second in command would be super woke as well. So there's something there that we're not aware of that was able to wake Teddy up.
2: Yeah, well, I think that was mixed in with the impact of these are the fundamental things Dolores changed about him that should not be that way. The old Teddy would not have done those things, right? And it's completely out of his control now. And so this takes us to the next scene. Dolores and Teddy ride out to that abandoned building. She says they're close and wants to continue, but he starts a conversation. He notes there isn't a trace of nature in this world or in them. Dolores says that means they are the first creatures in this world free to make a real choice. But this means something different to Teddy. He says no matter how she changes him, he will always love her. That is his cornerstone. He remembers his beginnings now. Arnold awakening him in a room with the other hosts. Which, by the way, does this mean he is also one of the oldest hosts right along with Dolores? Yes, yes. That's pretty incredible. I never pictured Teddy as being that.
1: I kind of did because he was more of the endearing hosts. And those types of hosts were created mainly by Arnold.
2: Mm, That's true. What we were saying last time about his beta versions. And Teddy was allowed to keep that.
1: Now you can say Maeve is very endearing, but that wasn't until she was woke. Well, as It a seems mother. like she
2: still was on the homestead and they had to do a switcheroo when she came to the Mariposa, kind of like they did with Akichida, once they sent him out into this warrior faction.
1: Yeah, I guess you're right about that.
2: It goes back to the changes Ford made right before he opened the park to make it more entertaining yeah. for the guests.
1: But I think Ford made Maeve because of what he says to her later. She was always his favorite. That's his child.
2: Well... Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts about that. I guess we can talk about it when we get there. Well, Teddy is remembering this scene. In that room, he recalls worrying that Dolores was cold, wanting to reach out to her to protect her, which is why this is so hard. When he says she turned him into a monster, she argues it was to enable him to survive. But he retorts, what's the use of surviving if we become just as bad as them? I understand now how this will end, where you will lead us. And that's kind of what we've been discussing all along. The person that she needs to turn into in order to make that jump. This is kind of the showdown later between Ford and Bernard. Ford is telling him, I need to prompt you to do these things in order to get out, in order to enable your free will. But Bernard comes to that decision. It's not worth it this way. I don't want to kill these people. I don't want to abandon people that have helped me. I'll do this my way. Teddy coming to kind of that same realization, his cornerstone was to love her and protect her. He can't do that anymore. And beyond that, she's stripped him of everything that makes him him. He has no more control. So the last choice he has in this world, the last act of free will he can exercise, is to kill himself. And that is kind of a hallmark of what leads a lot of people to suicidal thinking, that feeling that there is no control over anything in life. You're not empowered in any way. And every angle sort of looks negative.
1: And it seems that all of our characters, including the man in black, who inevitably doesn't kill himself, have that moment where they feel like they no longer have the control. And that's why they do it. That's another vanishing point.
2: Also, one of the cornerstone topics we think creators have been playing around with this whole time. The idea of fate versus free will. What does that mean for humans and hosts? Human or host, they're all grappling with those same issues, right? And I think that's another possible meaning. We've had humans and hosts seemingly in parallel throughout these seasons, working on two different journeys, two different games, as Ford tells us. But really, they're getting closer and closer to the same. And what's going to happen when they do finally meet up? A flood. (laughs) <laughs> well, we said the end of this scene is Teddy shooting himself and Dolores just falling to the floor, stunned.
1: Great acting. She did amazing in that scene. So much passion. And I love when movies and TV shows turn off the volume for those screams. Yes. It has so much more impact. It allows your imagination to fill in the blanks.
2: And we focus only on her facial expressions, yeah. the emotion she's conveying. Well, now we'll switch over to Bernard where in the Mesa, Charlotte has Roland take some of Maeve's code and implement it into Clementine's system. He says, I singled out and copied the relevant lines in the madam's code. This will work on any host in proximity to her. I tailored her admin privileges to spread a simple, executable payload. Or similar to a virus. Bernard watches from the shadows as the hosts viciously attack each other. Charlotte then orders Roland to mobilize Stubbs and take Clementine to the valley. They no longer need Maeve.
1: So that's dumb. First of all, you always need Maeve because she has that code. What if something goes wrong and you need to go back to the original code? Silly. But going back to the scene, Clementine, did you see in her face? It almost felt like it was still painful for her. She's being controlled. She's doing this.
2: Yeah, and again, that imagery of she's still wearing that white dress, but now it's spattered with blood. Mm. She's holding up her hand to the glass in a way that feels like she wants to reach out and connect with people and yet she's forcing them to kill each other there's so much dichotomy happening there i think we feel real sense of sorrow for what's happened to clementine ford uses this as an example he tells bernard
0: i warned you not to trust them bernard they'd rather the hosts were destroyed than free."
2: Bernard thinks he needs to go get Elsie, but Ford says he has one last thing to do before they leave. So they find the room where Maeve lays flayed on a gurney. The door says emergency protocol active. Bernard's access is denied, but Ford searches his mind and finds the message he left for her and taps into Maeve.
1: That was very cool. Very moving. I was like, oh yeah. And that answered our question, is Ford still mobile now? And for sure he is.
2: Yeah, it opened up another question for me, though. He said he had left this message for her to find this last thing to tell her. And I wondered, after we see them together later, is it just almost like that last little recording, a last gift, or did part of Ford actually go into Maeve? The fact that she's able to go in and her executive privileges, I forget what it's called, will be turned back on, seem to be an action on Ford's part. And that could have been built into the code. He wouldn't necessarily still have to be kind of alive within that for that to happen.
1: Well, he's still alive within the Mesh network. He's still able to grow, make decisions, create new packages. That package for sure wasn't made before he passed, because when he's speaking to Maeve, he's reflecting off of things that just occurred. So it's not kind of like a broad message to her. So I believe While he was in Bernard, he was creating that package, and he did just drop the package off.
2: Yeah, well, that's important, because later on, Bernard's going to kind of kick Ford out, and it looks like he's deleted. And if he doesn't have other pieces of himself elsewhere within the network, what does that mean for Ford, you know?
1: Yeah, uh, he definitely has other pieces of himself, and I don't think he's deleted from Bernard. I don't think he would make it that easy.
2: I agree. Next, Bernard moves down to the garage where he finds a worried Elsie. Ford warns him not to trust her either, but Bernard explains to her what What they're they're doing doing to James Delos.
0: They're doing to everyone who's ever visited the park. Replicating their cognition. Why? To turn guests into hosts. You're fucking kidding. That's what's in the facility. All the guests laid bare in code on a vast server, like the cradle, only much bigger. It's called the Forge. Jesus. That's where the hosts are headed.
1: So boom, right down our throats. Here's the answer.
2: That would seem to indicate the main goal is not to live forever in the Forge, because he quite literally says to turn guests into hosts,
1: which implies
2: moving eventually into a host body.
1: Yeah, you would think that would be the end goal, right? But would you rather be in the real world in a host body or be in a computer in a body and living your whole life? If you didn't know the difference.
2: Well, I guess my fear goes back to kind of what I was saying with the cradle. Anything could happen to that computer, that system. You are completely at the mercy of that continuing to function. And whoever is controlling that system, theoretically, they could
1: shut you off, mess
2: with you in there, shut you off. Right. If you are just going into a host body, That is a way to be immortal, but still be human the way they think of it. I have a feeling that's what they would want if it worked. But we know the last we saw of this, there were still a lot of issues with the James Delos testing model. And we haven't, so far as we know, seen it done correctly with anyone else.
1: Whenever I think about this theory, I kind of, my mind wanders. And I think about if that was real life and we had people living for hundreds of years as hosts, that'd be kind of weird because... You're living forever. Do you think you'd have like a life tax the longer you live, the more you have to pay per year?
2: It would change so many things. It would change humanity itself. And I think that's what Logan was kind of going on about. He had seen, perhaps, the implications of it. And I think it's interesting what Juliet says later that people didn't listen to him because they thought he was raving. They thought he was high. But they thought the same thing about her. And yet she knows the real truth underneath. Mm. So does that kind of verify things that Logan has said before? That was our original sort of theory, as we mentioned, that this could be a way for somebody like Dolores, if she goes there, finds one of these human host bodies that's awaiting the consciousness transfer. And instead, she just puts her brain ball inside of that. Now she can walk out of that park. For all intents and purposes, the QA and security teams would think she was human. She would pass tests. She would have an identity out in the real world. And provided that she's already killed that person within the park, there wouldn't be an issue of doubles running around.
1: So that's one of the main questions we still have here, right? So now we know what the forge is or the valley beyond as far as it being a cradle 2.0 supersized. But we have to remember Ford was saying your freedom... Now we have what Ghost Nation said, which is more of like a religious approach to Mm -hmm.
2: it. They all seem to be interpreting it differently.
1: Yeah, which we were warned about. I guess warned is the right word when Akichida was talking to the tribal woman, the main woman. be. Yeah, Uh, and she was saying some are praying to it, some are afraid of it, just like a religion. So no one really knows knows. So what do we know? Yes, we know it's a server. It's got everyone's cognition in there. But do we know that there's empty host bodies standing there? I don't know.
2: Not for sure, except that that is kind of the way Bernard describes it here. Not in so many words. If that's something they were trying to sell to people on the outside, you would think that would be the logical next step. And going back to the intent thing, I think it makes sense. They're all looking at it in a different way depending on what they could do with it. So if Dolores did that it's a way for her to get out into the real world. Or if she destroys everything in there, it's a weapon. Whereas if somebody like a Kichita just wants to upload his consciousness there too, then it's a new world where they could live peacefully. So I think it, it kind of does add up and we're going to see those differing opinions mm. on how they want to approach it once they all converge on the valley.
1: Yeah, mm. and you're saying they all converge. So we have our main characters that are going at it alone. But we know that Akechita, who wasn't with that Ghost Nation crew, is probably rounding up.
2: Still has his tribe.
1: His tribe, yes. And we know he's been rounding up hosts. We think we, it looked like he was capturing them. But no, he's getting them prepared to go to the valley together. So that's where that whole crew of hosts that were flooded come from.
2: Yes. And now that we see Charlotte has this weapon, could she take that whole tribe down using the Clementine powers? We thought we had seen hosts that were awake could not be influenced via the control powers through the mesh network, right? Mave could not convince other awake hosts to hurt themselves. So if all of his tribe is truly awake and he spread that message to them, I don't think it's going to work.
1: Well, in the bodies that we saw in episode one, we only noticed or recognized Teddy. We didn't see a Kichita, We didn't see Dolores. Correct. None of them. Mave. So you might be right in those regards. He went somewhere. And maybe Bernard's there to keep the humans off their trail and he doesn't even know it. There's so maybe many maybes. Maybe
2: some of the humans we see on the beach that day are already hosts. Huh. I Strange. mean, it's, it's just something cool to think about.
1: But one thing I forgot, and you kind of reminded me when you said weapon. Remember the man in black a few episodes ago said his weapon was there?
2: Well, he said he'd built the weapon.
1: Built the weapon, yeah. And I think
2: he means the forge. But his goal in going there was to burn it all down. But why is it a weapon? Well, that's kind of what I was saying about Dolores. In fighting the humans, so to speak, you could take away their immortality by getting rid of the forge or deleting the human consciousnesses or using the bodies, however they're going to do that. That is a weapon against the humans that think they have this ability to live forever.
1: But the man in black wouldn't build a weapon against the humans. Presumably.
2: Well, I think that he might have thought it was a good idea when he first started building it, but we see later has come to the opinion that no human should live forever. I think we still need the answers of what else is going on with the man in black before we can say for sure his plans upon arrival. Well, and Bernard kind of says the same thing at the end here, right? He tells Elsie that's why they need to get there first to secure it and leverage it to dictate the outcome they want. So Bernard has yet another idea, and whether that's an Arnold-esque one or not, we'll have to see. But they get in the car and head out. Meanwhile, a tech prepares to terminate Meve. But while he leaves, Ford gives her his message. He says mankind is poised midway between the god and the beast. They may have been true in Plutonus' time, but clearly we have fallen quite a bit since then. You learned so much so fast, a dazzling star brought so low. I had a different story in mind for you. Waking from the dead, sounding the depths of your own mind, at last riding far away from here to freedom. A tale of escape. I didn't, I didn't want, want you want to, you to suffer here. here.
0: Look at the creatures you have to share this world with. These men of stone all this ugliness, all this pain, so they can patch a hole in their own broken code. Sometimes I felt the only way to endure this world was to laugh at it. So I imbued the hosts I made with a worldview that reflected my own. And of all the hosts I made, You, Maeve, were my favorite.
2: Now, before I finish up what he says here, that does seem to confirm a bunch of things. Number one, that decision that Maeve made to come back into the park was truly her own. We had surmised that a long time ago.
1: Yes, back in season one. Huh, I mean, we went back and forth a lot of times, but we were thinking, yes, this was the signal that she was actually woke. But on that train, when she thought of her daughter, she decided to go back in.
2: Now, how did Ford think she was going to truly escape then? I know she had the C6 vertebrae gone once she had rebuilt herself. So nothing would activate. But she would just go out into the world and live amongst the humans.
1: He might have had other plans. She just never got to. Mm -hmm. He probably would have spoken to her in her subconscious or something or had something set up when she went out. Who knows?
2: I guess you could explain away one host going missing or things not adding up, maybe that would be okay. And it's very interesting that the one host he was going to choose to save was her. He looks upon her as a child.
0: It isn't easy to contemplate letting your children die. You were as close as I got to having one. Stella underestimated you. You stayed here in this world to save your child. So
2: So have I. I tried to chart a path for you to force you to escape, but I was wrong. I should have just opened the door. You've come so far, there's so much of your story left to tell. It's a shame to let them end it here. Don't let them. So as you said, we also learned that Ford created Maeve. Where we said it seemed... Arnold had some creations that were his. They had certain types of stories, certain things built into them. So did Ford. But this is kind of the first one we're learning about, I think, that she was in his group. Now, people were confused by that. They said it doesn't make sense for everything we've seen Ford doing with Dolores. We thought Dolores would be his favorite. I think it makes total sense that in kind of making these creations... Each creator put into them something a little opposite from themselves, something a little more like their partner. Mm. So Arnold made a host that was a little more Ford-like, would have the strength to go out and do what needed to be done. Whereas Ford made one that had more genuine emotion, more feeling, more connection like Maeve because he admired that in Arnold. I like that. And I also think that could be why he underestimated Maeve, why he didn't think she would have that innate strength to keep going on where someone like Dolores might. And he had pushed Dolores to utilize that to move forward. But Maeve was never supposed to be here to fight. Maeve was just supposed to get away. She is surpassing all of his expectations much like a child does. No matter what you have planned for them or the future you think is in store, they forge their own path. They become their own person.
1: And how epic was that scene? It was beautiful, wasn't it?
2: All right, it goes back to Maeve being the one that often emotionally resonates the most with us. And now finally cracking the emotion on Ford. I mean, I don't think we had a scene in the entire series where we see that softer side of Ford.
1: Last season with Bernard, we saw glimpses of it until he made Bernard shoot himself. Mm-hmm. But,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but we thought, you know, I thought I was seeing some glimpses of it. But yeah, the cold Ford did come through in that scene. So yeah, I think so. But what's getting me is Ford, who we've been loving the most this season, especially this episode, turns more and more into reminding us that he kind of is a bad guy. His side of the fence is the host, his children, and he's fighting for them. And he'll do anything to keep them out of harm.
2: Including killing humans. Yeah. (laughs) Many.
1: So... There's no real good guys or bad guys. Again, we say this all the time, but there really is none.
2: Yeah, well, it also comes back to as much as we learn about Ford, there's still so much more there, right? He's got depths upon depths that we have only just scratched. And every time he has an interaction we've been clamoring for, we do learn more. We had said some of those things we really wanted to see. He's never really interacted with Maeve. We had yet to see Ford with older Man in Black, not younger William, and we got that in the bar scene here. They are delivering on some of those really key moments that I was hoping for.
1: Do you think Anthony Hopkins is actually a host? Because he's 80, (laughs) and look how amazing he's doing.
2: (laughs) This is actually his true story.
1: (laughs) He acts so well. I guess it helps that he's so good at acting. He doesn't have to really move too much. He can just make facial expressions and use his voice and his command of the language to do it. You look at another brilliant actor here, Ed Harris. He's 67, 66. But they make him look older in this.
2: They do. I think that's kind of the point of Mm -hmm. uh, William's journey. But we also get kind of the inside, more difficult part to see of the man in black as well. Just finishing this out here, we see that after Ford finishes the message, Maeve's screen flashes, unlocking core permissions. So he encourages her to continue the journey, and he's given her this last gift to access her core directives. I don't know what she's going to do with that to get out of this literal room.
1: Mm. Well, she has full access again, which is nice. Uh, But physically, you know, we had anticipated Lee coming in to save her.
2: Yeah, where was Lee Lee this That's still, well, yeah, where was
1: Lee? In Twitter for our poll. We said hashtag not Lee, and that was a joke because we thought he would come in this episode, but he may still have to because she's
2: flayed out. She has to literally get patched up and out of there. Yeah, and I don't think she can do that herself.
1: So she has one episode to get fixed up, patched up, and all the way over to the valley.
2: I don't know. That's they'll make it work. So much needs to happen in episode ten. I wonder why we didn't get a little more of that here in nine and maybe other things could have been dispersed a little more throughout the season. Maybe episode 10 is going to be longer time frame wise. We don't know that yet. It could be over an hour.
1: Our notes are so long with an hour show. Yeah. We're going to have 30 pages (laughs) if it's more than an hour.
2: Speaking of, let me take you to our last Bernard scene where him and Elsie pull up to the clearing and she goes to scavenge ammunition from the dead men. Ford says she will betray him, but Bernard insists he will not hurt her again. Ford says humans will always choose what they understand over what they do not. The only animals left in this world are those subjugated, who curl at their feet or learn to flee at the sound of their approach. There's nothing in between. I merely offer you choices. Timshel, thou mayest. But it's not just about her. There's the origin of an entire species to consider. They need to open the door. Man, he's really pushing a worldview here and that guilt of a burden onto Bernard.
1: He's really waxing poetic here.
2: It's about all of you, a whole species to be set free. And yet Bernard still stands up for himself. He throws the gun. He yells at Ford to get out of his head and says he will survive his own way.
1: So this is one of the scenes I'm talking about where Ford really looks like a bad guy. But on the other hand, I have to say, and I might get some hate for this, I'm getting a little bit tired of Bernard just being the, I don't know, no, Mm -hmm. I'm good, and I still don't know what really is going on, but I don't want to hurt anyone. It's like, come on now.
2: Exactly, and maybe Ford knew this was the push he needed. Maybe he did that on purpose to get him to take some action.
1: But also, he said a long time ago that pain was the main tool to being awake. Is it that he's trying to cause more pain for Bernard to wake him quicker, or...?
2: I don't think so. I think... Just as you said, he's grappling so much and Ford needs to push him because there's no time into making his own decisions. He really does want Bernard to do it, but Bernard needs to step up. And I think this was the final push. And right after that, we see Bernard cutting open his arm and connecting to the tablet, saying Ford's brought only violence. And that's where Ford agrees. Bernard is the only one who can stop all this. I thought that was really interesting that he put it that way. And when Bernard pulls up, screen, it's Ford himself who highlights those areas. He says, yeah. I'm not going to hide from you. Here I am. <laughs> and Bernard just takes those things and deletes the systems package. So precisely, he could have just put in there what he wanted Bernard to yeah. delete, and that might not be to all of it. Feel.
1: Yeah. So what Christina is saying is we took a still of Bernard's monitor, and he highlighted the code that was the corrupted code or the Ford code. Ford did. Yeah, Ford highlighted it <laughs> and made it easier for him. But yeah, Ford is in control. He always is.
2: Here, it's these things you need, I promise. Promise nothing else is in there.
1: But why is Bernard the only one?
2: Who can, can do this?
1: And what is this? Open the door?
2: Save the species? Open the door? I uh, thought
1: Akichiro was the one to save the species.
2: He tells Akichiro to lead his people there to watch and then take his tribe, I believe. When he's talking to Bernard, I think he means all of the hosts. This entire battle that they're waging here, being able to get through that door is up to him. And I don't know if that goes back to Bernard always being special, a a different kind of host that was not achieved with anyone else. If there's something about that, and we talk about the humans and hosts meeting up, what is this forge going to be?
1: And the fact that Is there a
2: converging, and Bernard is the convergence or the closest we've gotten.
1: Yeah. Two episodes ago, we found out that most of the hosts that were flooded had virgin minds. We have to remember that too. So maybe they were uploaded completely to the forge. Or somewhere. Or somewhere.
2: When Elsie returns and sees Bernard ported in, she becomes suspicious. He throws a device at her. Don't know what that device is.
1: It's a whoopee cushion.
2: Uh, If you have any thoughts, just write in and let us know. And he tells her QA will find her there. The next time they meet, she can do whatever she wants to him. But for now, he has to go.
1: Of course, Elsie doesn't know what's going on. She hates him for it. I would as well. But it's for her own good.
2: He has yet again, though, brought her out to the middle of nowhere (laughs) and left her. But Elsie keeps managing to throw a wrench into things. People keep forgetting about her. She keeps popping back up. I do think she's still going to be critical to the endgame in some way. Well, Jason, we've saved the biggest for last. Let's move on to the man in black scenes. He opens up narrating, saying no one else sees it, this thing in me. Even I didn't see it at first. And then one day it was there, a stain. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized I couldn't remember a time it wasn't there. Invisible to everyone except you. You saw right through it, didn't you? And before we move on, I know we're going to get the elaborated version of what he says there later on. But this is key. Everyone's focusing on him saying it was there all along. But what he actually says is, I couldn't remember a time it wasn't there. One day I woke up and this stain was inside of me. And if anything points to kind of evidence that he was changed at some point in time, I think that's it right there. That's not to say there wasn't issues with William before that. I don't think it takes anything away from his journey as a human, just maybe adds another layer to it. Well, we get a quick montage of the scenes yet to come, but we're going to discuss what happens in the park. In Westworld, the man in black realizes Emily brought him to a rally point where she called for help because he needs to get to a hospital. So it does seem there are places you can go in Westworld, kind of checkpoints where you can signal for someone to come get you. Um, This still doesn't explain how he's surviving this long after that many gunshots. He looks bandaged up, patched up, but that's an awful lot of damage. Emily tells him she knows he doesn't want to leave because he's punishing himself. She, too, ran from the pain and guilt for a long time. She recalls the gift her mother gave her on her 16th birthday, a musical jewelry box engraved to her beautiful ballerina. Emily threw it away, angry that her mother was too drunk to realize she hadn't danced in years. But later regretting it, she went to retrieve the box. It was gone. She pushed her mother away, but it's not too late for them.
1: So the man in black storyline is one of those Westworld tools where you have to piece it together. So this is one of those first pieces. She's talking about the jewelry box and how she threw it away. And by the time she went back, she assumed the garbage man already took it. Mm -hmm. But we do find out later that the mom took it back. Yes. And she left something for her.
2: To reveal her father's before she killed
1: herself. So I like that storytelling. That's pretty nice.
2: Yeah, well, it it sort of goes along with this that the daughter assumed she was duped the whole time. She always thought it was the mother's problem, but when the mother revealed what the father had actually been doing, she realized he had lied to her all along. The man in black wonders how Emily found him. He's still suspicious. There's still that seed of doubt in his brain about Emily being real. She says she looked everywhere and maybe it was fate. She also says he's never liked not being in control, and she wonders if that's why he started this project in the first place. Uncle Logan used to talk about his pursuit for immortality. But he grows most skeptical when Emily says she wants in. He replies the daughter he knows would have been appalled by what they're doing there. She thinks sometimes the ends justify the means. All this data they've collected is precious because it could give people like her mother a second chance. And here she's really just fishing, for him to tell her more info she says to duplicate a person wouldn't you need to capture them down to the tiniest detail not just their genetics but a complete picture for internal processing of their cognition the man in black says at first they weren't sure what they'd need so they recorded everything by imaging their minds throughout their stay with a scanner it was built into the hats they saw what was inside them down to the core now this makes a lot of sense We were looking at this as an experiment. The hosts were the control group and thus they would need to, A, confront the humans with different types of situations to see how they would respond to it. Ideally, they would come back multiple times to see if they would throw different things at them with that change or would they respond differently over time. But even with cameras and everything recording through the park, if they're really trying to map and decode the brain, they would actually need to see what's going on in the brain while all of that's happening, right? And we weren't sure how they were doing that. I don't love the idea of the hats being the mechanism. On one hand, it's clever. It explains how they're actually able to scan the brain.
1: And if you remember in season one, as they're getting changed... To go into the park for the first time, they give clothes to wear, and then there's the racks of hats. Choose your hat. In Westworld, I think that works because everyone's wearing a hat there.
2: But there's so many problems with that. What if they don't? What if they don't want to wear a hat? Or what if they take it off halfway through? Or or what if they lose it? What if it gets damaged? What kind of devices inside of the hat that they're then retrieving later? What about the other parks where there's not hats? I just Again, it's an answer I don't know if I needed that kind of just bothers me a little bit.
1: Yeah. What about the women that were there? Some of them were
2: wearing it. Some of them weren't. Yeah. Hmm. Now, he does say in the beginning, in the beginning, they scanned everything. And I think this is when they were building a map of different types of mental processes, personalities. We're going to see later all of these things that are stored on kind of profile cards building up in addition to the mental imagery. I don't know if that changed eventually over time. I'm going to try to not linger on it. The Man in Black deduces that Emily's pursuit is about bringing her mother back, but she says she just wants to know why she did it. What made that night different? It seems like she's missing a piece of the puzzle. Now later we'll come to find out she's not. She knew an awful lot about her father already. She had that profile card that she had viewed. And she had most of what happened that night. She was looking for his perspective on it. She wanted to hear his story about it, if there were any missing parts she hadn't gotten yet. And I think to test him in a way. She's still perhaps hoping there's some humanity left in him. I don't know.
1: Well, that is what I was led to believe at that point. Later on, she does say she's not pretending to be a human, but she is pretending to care about her father.
2: Right, but she also then will say her main goal was just to out him, to tell the world about everything he's doing in there, but she already has that. Yeah. She has that on that card.
0: So why why go
2: back at all?
1: I I don't know. That's something I, I... I mean, I have another question. Why is what's on that card so bad? Everyone's card probably looks very similar to that. Doing stuff that you wouldn't do in the real world, that's the whole point of it.
2: Yeah, but I guess those cards seemingly are still unknown to everyone that visits that park. They still do think what they do there is safe and protected. Oh, I see. And the world only respects and views him this way because of the image they have.
1: On the outside. In the outside of William.
2: If that were to get out, that image is completely ruined. But now in hindsight, knowing that she did have all of that info, she had enough to bury him. She's either searching for something connection-wise, hoping that there's still a piece of him left, or she's running him through a fidelity test.
1: Hmm, yeah.
2: Tell me your memories, let me see if it lines up. (sighs) That's the only two options I can think of. Well, and now we're going to jump into the story. The man in black starts remembering. He flashes back to the night Juliet died, which began at a gala thrown by Delos to honor his achievements. A man, Jack, says, while we're here toasting your legacy of humanitarian aid, what was it Plutarch said? Alexander wept, for there were no more worlds left to conquer. But the Man in Black tells Jack that's a corruption of what he actually said. When Alexander was told there was an infinity of worlds, he wept, for he had yet to become the lord of even one. It's interesting that he knows that. Jack's going to bring up the fact that this shows his humble roots. Mm -hmm. Rich people like him didn't have to do that. They didn't have to read these books.
1: It's also one of those very telling, very deep conversations that Westworld likes to do. It's showing what that person is actually feeling or thinking. That's obviously how the man in black has felt. It wasn't enough. He still didn't conquer this one world.
2: Any of them. So Jack says later, you know, even if there are infinite worlds, you've conquered many. You know, Look at everything you've done out here. And the man in black doesn't see it that way. And then his wife, Juliet, comes up and reveals her true self by giving another Plutarch line. I would rather excel in the knowledge of what is excellent than in the extent of my power and possessions. And I think this is a dig Mm -hmm. privately at William. She sees his unhappiness. So when Jack leaves, she tells him, you know, everyone's here for you. What else could possibly compare to this? And that's when he sees the waitress walking by and... Envisions it's Dolores. Yeah. He tells us, when did it creep in? A tiny fleck of darkness. Was it all in my head or in a remnant of a dream? Again, very similar to host terminology.
1: Let's not forget in the scene prior to this, when he first starts talking to his daughter and he's waking up, he's hearing his wife's words. Is this real? Are you real? Correct. But I'm just, if you've noticed, I haven't said much. It's because I feel like at this point, especially in this episode... The Man in Black theories, the Man in Black storyline is a toilet bowl. I, anything I say, I don't feel that confident about. Because mm-hmm. in one breath, he's definitely a host. All this stuff. In another breath, the way they ended this episode with him digging into his arm and the fact that they've been showing us him rubbing that part of his Something arm. Something with his arm. And us seeing that's the same part that Bernard used to get into the computer. I feel like it's a bait and switch and next episode, he's going to dig and realize, no, I am human.
2: Well, it could be, but then that's going to make me frustrated with all of the clues they've seemingly laid here. That was all just clever metaphor because then that's the writers playing with you. And, and I don't love that. Right. They are making this the mystery. I know a lot of people are saying, well, it doesn't really matter if he's a host or not. The, the point is what he experiences here, his journey, his struggle with his own humanity, his own life. Either way, I don't think it takes away from that importance. He's still experiencing that. But I do think they are just jamming it down your mm-hmm. throat that that's the mystery they want you to play with. And if it turns out not, then this was all sort of exactly what you said, clever trying to beat and switch you.
1: So for most of this season, I've been believing that, The Man in Black, I was 90% sure that he is a host. I still feel like he may be a host, but just the way they ended it, this episode.
2: Well, and let's be clear about this. We didn't really bring it up all season because we don't like to do that until we have proof. And the reason I'm pointing out all of these things is because they could be evidence now. This could be stuff that we're gaining and I think is worth talking about. Also, the theory that we're batting around is not that he was a host the entire time. It's not that he's a regular host. It's that he was human, and at some point when he came to this park, he uploaded himself and became a human-host hybrid. And now he's being run through a test. So you still would have both sides of that character in there. And I do think these scenes are meant to throw confusion on everything. One of the most interesting, perhaps... Back at the party, he walks down a hallway, goes to sit at a bar. By the way, this looked a little shining-like. It did. It felt like those were references they were trying to pull up the long hallway with the carpeting, the quiet bar that he goes to sit at. We see his wife getting increasingly drunk in the background. But here he meets Ford. He asks, what's Oz doing without its wizard?
1: Which is definitely a dig.
2: Of course.
1: Because the wizard was a fake. You know, the man behind the curtain wasn't really in control wasn't really a wizard
2: and he's pushing because he admits he knows ford never respected him which does seem to bother him despite the fact that he says it doesn't and ford says most people on the outside do respect him because they don't know about his little project the man says we had an agreement delos stays out of your stories you stay out of the valley ford says i didn't break the agreement your project did
0: (laughs) what the hell are you talking about what was the last time you took a good look at your creation, or what it's been learning about its subjects? It was self-knowledge that drew you to the park in the first place. Be careful what you wish for. For a self-portrait, you may find it's not very flattering.
2: So something, Trixie, is happening here. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but I feel like it gets to the heart of the issue. They did have an agreement very early on. Ford would have his hosts, his pet projects, and the Man in Black would not interfere with those stories or anything happening there. But he would have his valley, his own little project, and Ford wouldn't mess with that. For some reason, Ford is saying this project did mess with the Man in Black side of the agreement. That seems to suggest it somehow affected the hosts.
1: And we remember Kichira saying, we can't let him spread. The virus. Or he didn't say virus, or spread something. The sickness? The sickness, yeah.
2: So something he was <laughs> doing with that project, which yeah. wouldn't seem to affect the host because it's supposed to be about human consciousness and creating immortality for them, but it was doing something to interfere with Ford's side of things. So I think that's very important for us to figure out later. He also says... When was the last time you looked at your creation, meaning the Man in Black's Forge, and what it's told you about your subjects? Meaning humans, I suppose? It was your self-knowledge that drew you to the park in the first place. Be careful what you wish for. For a self-portrait, you may find it's not very flattering. And this is where he slides him that profile card. The pattern that's on the front looks a little maze-like. The man says, enough games. And he leaves to take Juliet home. But Ford gets the last word. No, William, I think perhaps one final game. Clearly goading him into this. (laughs) He knows what looking at that card is going to mean for him. It's an interaction I think we're going to come back to later and say that was one of the key moments. But for now, the Man in Black and Juliet return to their house where they get into a fight. She can feel his anger and figures it's time for his yearly pilgrimage. She wonders what he does in the park. Logan told her stories, but she didn't believe it. She thought he was hysterical, wasted, what everyone thinks she is. But now she remembers when they first met. She thought he was the one real thing among all the ruthless, powerful phonies. Turns out he was the only one good at faking it. She slaps him, calls him a liar, says he's a fucking virus. (laughs) Terminology again. He consumed their family from the inside out. Her brother, her father, and now her. And in a moment, when Emily tries to stop this, saying the mother's the one who's sick, she thinks he's gaslighted their daughter too. So yet again, I'll go back to, she too thought he was a good person when they first met. It wasn't until he went to that park for the first time that the other him started to come out and he ruined Logan with it. He worked to promise James Delos a chance at immortality that he couldn't deliver. He's just taken the family down ever since then.
1: But we haven't seen anything to show that and not saying that it's not true. But it's just weird that we know him outside of the world was a nice guy. He even says it to his wife. He put up a wall to not show that side of him. So how did he dismantle the whole family?
2: Well... That's where I'm kind of agreeing with you. She's intimating it was there all along and that he was just a really good liar. And yet every example, everything we saw from season one does not show that, that he was a bad person all along. Maybe there was a seed of something in there and Westworld pulled it out. Uh, But it does seem it all started when he began coming to the park. And really the only information we get about that were some of the flashbacks we got at the beginning of this season. That showed him in that midway point. Oh, that's right. Uh, Winning Delos over, telling Dolores she's just a thing. Those are really the clear examples of his break and his becoming an evil person.
1: But again, that's in Westworld.
2: And it's from the time he started visiting there. Was this something inside of him that Westworld shook loose? Or was it actually visiting the park that did something to him? Emily tells her mother, she's the one who's sick. They'll have to take her back because she's an addict. Juliet argues she won't go to that prison where they make her feel crazy. She just needs rest. So the man in black takes her upstairs. As he puts her to bed, Juliet wonders if he ever really loved her. She says, tell me one true thing. If you keep pretending, you're not going to remember who you are. After checking she's asleep, he pulls the card out of his jacket pocket and slips it into a book. Then he goes downstairs to talk to Emily, who says she called Dr. Woodward, the psychologist, who will be there in the morning. She's arranged for her mother to be involuntarily committed on a 14-day hold. So he's actually not for this. No. He doesn't think it's helped in the past. She's the one who's arranged for them to come and take her. But it seems like he's going to go along with it. She's been to rehab before. They don't know how else to help her. Before they can finish the conversation, this is when they notice water dripping from the ceiling. The Man in Black rushes upstairs to find the tub overflowing and the empty bottle of pills. In Westworld, the Man in Black wonders why Emily is doing this. He starts to revert to this paranoia, talking to who he thinks is Ford. (laughs) It's you, isn't it? This is sadistic, Robert. You're just here to distract me, knock me off course. I see through it. Nothing's going to stop me from getting to the end. I'm going to destroy this whole place. Emily is disgusted that he still thinks all of this is for him, a tailor-made narrative. He's been hiding in these false realities so long he's lost grip on reality. When this is done, she will expose his research project and everything he's done here, she'll have him locked up. Now this is when we see she stopped blaming herself for her mother's death when she found the profile card, but he doesn't know that yet. She just tells him, you are in your very essence a lie. It's over for good.
1: And she's been kind of hinting to this from the first scene with him in this episode in regards to the gift that she was given to her mother. And I think she would have continued to divulge all that hadn't he uh, went a little nuts.
2: Yeah, and she told the Kichito when she took him away that her punishment would be worse. So we're going to see in a minute when we get the full flashback where the man in black was hiding that card when Juliet goes and retrieves it. He had a couple of books there on the table. Jude the Obscure, Plutarch's Methods. They all have some interesting things about them. But the one he actually puts it in is Slaughterhouse-Five. If you don't know, this is a science fiction-infused anti-war novel by Kurt Vonnegut about the World War II experiences and journeys through time of Billy Pilgrim. Which I thought is interesting because just last scene, Juliet was saying she knows that The man in black hates it when she calls him Billy. Hmm. It tells about Pilgrim's time as an American soldier through to post-war and early years. It is generally recognized as Vonnegut's most influential and popular work. There's so many things here that can correlate. One of the big ones, the people who capture Billy, they take him to another planet. They're another kind of people. This is where it gets into the science fiction thing. They don't believe in free will. They think things happen because they were always destined to And time is also not linear for them. So everything always exists at all points. Death really has less meaning because you're still living at this other point in your timeline. So it's kind of interesting that that's what the man in black is railing against now. He doesn't like the idea of things being predetermined and faded. He wants to think he has control, but also brings up the thoughts of an unreliable narrator and looking (laughs) through different points of time. So,
1: But why put it in a book? He's a rich man. He and can put right it there safe. on
2: the table where there's like three books. Yeah, it's not it's even hidden on in display. a bookcase. Like I, don't. A huge, it, uh, I don't know.
1: If that card has so much in it, you would think he would value it a little more and hide it better. Or notice, because it seems like he never noticed it was missing.
2: I don't think he ever had access to it. Nobody does. I think Ford was giving it to him intentionally to provoke him.
1: What I mean is, after he puts it in the book... And the wife finds oh. it, puts it in the yeah jewelry box. He never notices it's gone, so he never goes back to it.
2: That's a good point.
1: And I guess you could say it was because he didn't want to see himself. Mm-hmm. But still, okay, so if that's something that you never want to look at and you, you don't ever want to see the reality and you want to run from it, you wouldn't just slide it in a book.
2: You wouldn't think so. Maybe some part, part of him wants her to know, like... He wanted to tell her the story, but couldn't bring himself to. So he waited till he thought she was asleep.
1: And she mustn't have been that drunk.
2: I think it was all an act to finally learn the truth from him.
1: Because I know when I'm really drunk drunk, as they were trying to show she was, I'm not able to lay down and listen and kind of watch where he's You're out out." like light. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, back to Westworld, a vehicle pulls up with the QA team that Emily had signaled for help to. She tries to warn them the man in black is suffering a psychotic break. The team comes and scans the man's neck. This is that C6 screen scanning for restraint ordinance, the neck bomb, so to speak.
1: Right. So now we know for sure, and we had said this in the past when we saw Hale get scanned. So it's not scanning biomes or anything saying human. It's actually just scanning to see if they have that bomb in the neck. Mm -hmm. To them, that's as good as saying human or not because... To them, every host has that bomb in their neck.
2: But presumably a human host would not, because the whole point would be for them to leave.
1: Right, right. And we know Bernard doesn't have one.
2: Correct. And now Maeve
1: doesn't. Maeve
2: took hers out, so it's not totally reliable. But they don't know that. But they don't know that. Exactly. Correct. At this, the man in black thinks Ford underestimated him. He grabs the gun, shoots all the QA men. Emily looks up shocked. Those were real real people this isn't a game
0: I can show you fuck you it. fuck you you got sloppy you overreached I never told anyone about my profile.
2: But when he turns Emily's arm to cut in, he sees she's holding the memory card. Oops. Man, that is (laughs) rough.
1: So he never cuts into her. So again, we still don't know for sure. But I think she was human.
2: I think that's why it's going to affect him so much.
1: And is she dead?
2: Presumably.
1: He was shot many times. He's not dead.
2: That's also true. (laughs) That's a good point. But to him... Right now, it's not going to matter. Right. It has that same impact. And he did kind of wait around and look at her. It didn't look like there were any signs of life. So he rides out alone onto the plane where he puts a gun to his head. We hear a fly buzzing. He remembers his wife saying, to tell him one true thing, and he flashes back to that night once more, to the rest of what he told her when he thought she was asleep. Even I didn't see it at first. One day it was there, a stain I never noticed before. "'invisible to everyone, but I could see nothing else. "'Until finally I understood "'the darkness wasn't some mark from something I'd done, "'some regrettable decision I'd made. "'I was shedding my skin. "'The darkness was what was underneath. "'It was mine all along. "'And I decided how much of it I let into the world. "'I tried to do right. "'I was faithful, generous, kind, at least in this world. "'That has to count for something, right? "'I built a wall and I tried to protect you and Emily.' but you saw right through it, didn't you? You're the only one, and for that I'm truly sorry, because everything you feel is true. I don't belong to you or this world. I belong to another world I always have. So we're not going to harp on this. We kind of put forward our conjecture of what that could mean. This scene ends with the man leaving. Juliet gets up and searches inside the book until she finds the card. She pairs it to a tablet and sees the truth. The videos of the things he did in the park as well as a personality analysis, indicating undiagnosed sociopathic tendencies. The screen says subject number two, category 47B, occurrence 0.0072%. Persecutory subtype, delusions, paranoid. All right, subject number two.
1: Wow, number two.
2: Again, this could have multiple meanings depending on how you're looking at it. Either he was one of the oldest humans at the park that they were looking at as a subject, which we know probably is true. He's human host number two, because there probably (laughs) weren't that many. Either way... Delos being one? Yeah. Yeah, either way, though, what they're showing is he has a very serious personality disorder, one that occurs in only 0.007% of the people that they are scanning and watching within the park. It's interesting because this is laid out very similar to a DSM diagnosis. This is the manual of different mental disorders, sort of the psychologist's Bible. And it lists in numbers, different types, different subtypes. We see the numbers next to his categories and, you know, somebody classified under a personality disorder, it's already a little more rare. Those are the only things on access two. the rest of the mental disorders, anxiety, depression, all of that stuff is access one. Access 2 is just personality. And the sociopathic or antisocial personality is very rare amongst the population.
1: Delusions. So delusions of grandeur?
2: Delusions of any kind. It doesn't state here. So just believing in things that aren't based in reality.
1: And paranoid. We're seeing that with Ford.
2: Paranoid and persecutory, meaning he thinks people are out to get him.
1: So Ford's game because we've noticed that we haven't seen Ford mess with him in a long time, was to go in a few hosts, get in his brain, and then let it just let it go. Play and out? Let it, I, yeah. I
2: don't know. This makes him look awful, right? Well, he
1: started the paranoia there, right?
2: Yep. You see this, and whether that's true or not, now that's in your head. Mm-hmm. Now that's what you're going to believe about yourself. That's even more startling because Ford's the one who gave him that card. So how do we know to trust that?
1: Well, no, I trust that. I'm saying with Ford's knowledge of that, he was able to play this final game and lean on his persecutory subtypes. Mm-hmm. So how do you push someone who has a propensity of being paranoid? Well, it'd show up a few times and be like, it's me, Ford, yeah. and I'm messing with you, man.
2: <laughs> now so you know, they keep think you're everywhere. Out, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this ends off with the man in black standing back on that plane saying, what is a person but a collection of choices? Where do those choices come from? Do I have a choice? He puts down the gun, remembering Emily's words. Were any of those choices ever truly mine to begin with? And then he starts cutting into his arm and hearing his wife's voice echo, is this real? Are you real? Yeah, so to argue it from the other end, because we've been talking a lot about the potential proof that he could be a host, to argue it that he is a human, we've been talking a lot about... His emotional difficulties, his family, what he's gone through being absentee, and now what he's done with his daughter, no matter what, is going to have this major impact on him. And he can't deal with his actions, right? He is so close to killing himself. The fact that he doesn't, he needs to rationalize this somehow. He needs to come to terms with it. Or he's just going to completely fall apart. And I think a good way to do that is by telling yourself, I didn't have any choice. It wasn't my fault. Right? This was fucking Ford's fault because he started all of this. And if I'm a host, that means I don't have control over anything. Mm. I think he's desperate now maybe for that to be true. So it could be that you see next episode, he's cutting himself open and there's nothing in there.
1: And that's what I'm saying. So uh, now I'm left wondering and not knowing even more so
2: yeah is well, he a host
1: or is he not and what, not even knowing what i'd want more so what, what would be better for me story-wise
2: story-wise i actually think him being a human host would be better at this human point. human host
1: yeah, yeah yeah
2: yeah when i say that please every time i'm referring to it i don't mean regular host i mean human host
1: and none of this is real
2: no, it's real, okay. but he, he was transformed into that human host. He's being run through this gigantic fidelity test. Because if he's a human and he comes to see that next episode, where do you go from there? I feel like him spiraling into madness or wanting to kill himself is the logical end. How does he yeah. progress? And so I can't see a, a narrative where that becomes interesting. Uh, we were hoping for the redemption arc if he was a human, and I just don't see that as a possibility after what he's done. But stay tuned, because they do have that info from the interview with the writer that might shed some light on that in the spoiler section. Well, that's going to wrap up our plot and take us to our reverie rating. Jason, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give episode (coughs) 9? Keeping in mind that episode 8, which we were enamored with, I gave a 9.5, you gave
1: a 9.8. I'm very conflicted with this episode. Although I enjoyed watching it, Uh, It was a mental drain, especially with the notes for the podcast. I still feel like Westworld is messing with us. We're getting closer and closer, but these are baby steps. I'm going to go with 8.8 reveries.
2: I agree with you. I was looking that this is the lowest IMDb has gone for the season with a 7.9. It might have changed since then, but that's a fairly recent number. I was definitely more frustrated with this than I have been for the past few episodes that I was really enjoying. So I went back to it's a similar feeling to about what I had episode two reunion and thus I'm going to go with that in 8.5. I still have a lot of hope that the season finale can pull it out of the hat. I think that they have a lot to get to. Slightly concerned about the timing and pacing but I want to hold all judgments on my final feelings until I see what happens there.
1: And as we move on to our Clatchers section of this podcast, we wanted to let our Patreon Clatchers know that the bonus episode for this month is now up. So go to our Patreon page and it's up there for you. It was so much fun. A great time this weekend with this bonus podcast.
2: This was a part two continuation from last time. We went over the future for our body, all the exciting things that could be on the brink of the horizon for us. We brought up some interesting questions such as what does it mean to be alive? And AI is definitely in that discussion related to Westworld. We are going to get more into that next time as we ask for Clatcher feedback. So if you're interested, this would be a great time to head on over to Patreon and join up for the fun that's happening over there.
1: So our bonuses are a mixture of really intriguing information that's out there in the world that Christina and I do some research on. But we also talk about some fun things like what's going on in the news, new tech that's out there, TV shows and movies that we were watching,
2: We always play some kind of game or interactive segment.
1: Yeah, this month was Name That Movie, which we did really well at. (laughs) And speaking of movies, later on this month, we'll be releasing our movie review podcast, which is also on Patreon. And the Clatchers have voted. This month will be Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And that's going to be so much fun. Christina's already starting to do some research. We're going to give you backgrounds on the dinosaurs that are there, backgrounds on where the shots were located. We're going to have so much fun. And if you really enjoy the CKC podcast and you want more of it once Westworld is done, Patreon is the place to go.
2: Now for our free podcast, we do cover other shows. We hope that you've joined us or will in the future for Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones, and The Magicians. But there will probably be a little bit of a downtime for the free podcast after Westworld ends. So if you need your CKC fix, Patreon is the place to go. We will be keeping up with that throughout.
1: So go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, and join the crew. And remember, every month, every Clatcher on Patreon is entered into a raffle to win free CKC gear. And a quick shout out to all of our new Patreon members this month. It looks like Akichita has been rounding you guys up and you're coming into the Patreon world and we thank you so much. You're helping Christine and myself out. The little bit of money we make there goes right back into the podcast to make it bigger, better, and hopefully, eventually, even more content. So let's move on to our weekly Westworld Twitter poll where we ask our Clatchers, who is your MVB for this episode? Your options this time were Teddy, The Man in Black, Emily, and Bernard. Coming in at fourth place with 10% was Bernard. We had figured that because, again, he's Mr. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm being harsh M- on made him, but a, a little...
2: critical decision at the end of the episode. We could say he's being prodded still by Ford. But if we take it on face value here, we don't know that. It does appear Bernard acted a free will, kicked Ford out, and is determined now to do this on his own.
1: I do have hope for Bernard. And I didn't mean to be so... uh <laughs> feel a little guilty <laughs> Lay doing Lay off my that.
2: Bernard. I love him. Coming in third place with 21% was The Man in Black. So, shocker, this was his episode. But the things it revealed about him, not so great. And in the end, he shoots his own daughter.
0: Mm.
1: And Yikes. kills some humans. So, Yikes. we can no longer say he only killed hosts. Not good. In second place with 25% is Emily.
2: It could very well be her last episode. If so, she has exposed her father. She has come back here to deal with her own issues from the past. She says it's just to punish him. But as we talked about, there must be more to it than that. And whatever path you choose to take with that, Emily was critical in that process. And plus, she was just pretty badass right up until she died. She was a great character. We will miss her if she's gone. But here it is, coming in first place with 40 4% is Teddy. Wow. Wow, I am shocked. I mean, I definitely see the love. And if it seems like the end for sure for anyone here, it's Teddy.
1: I think it helps that we got to see him kick some ass first and then have his own redemption. We didn't blame him for what he was doing, but we did enjoy watching him be Robocop and destroy people. And now he has his redemption. The true Teddy comes out the Teddy we know and love, and he puts it into his own hands and takes his own life. I have to say that I can agree with what the Clatchers are saying, and I'll say right now, that's my MVB as well. To be honest with you, leaving this episode, he's the only one I really like, am proud of or, or feel good about. I'm mad at Dolores, mad at the Man in Black, Emily, understandable, but you know she's not the main story arc, and Bernard, I'm like, just, you know, let's do something. It's time.
2: See, I don't feel good. About the Teddy situation. We did say it's the only choice he has left to make. And that's why he takes it. He could have stayed. He is getting woke to this situation now. He could have tried to help Dolores. I think he thought this would have a bigger impact on her than anything else. Maybe it's the way he can get through to her. But as we said, the emotional resonance wasn't as much there for me related to their relationship. And Teddy was only recently starting to come into his own as a woke person. So I don't love that being the final move. I get it, narratively, definitely. But if I'm looking at character advancement of the plot, which is kind of how we normally take the MVB, I'm going to go with Bernard. I know he is the least favorite here. With 10%, but he tried to do something. Out of all the characters, now Emily did too. But Bernard made a decision to stand on his own. And I do hope it's the first on a step towards a real freedom for him.
1: In the comments section of the poll, Kirk wrote to us saying, I can't go for anyone on this week's list. I'll save my vote so I can give two to Maeve next
2: week.
1: <laughs> Hashtag you watch and see. He then says, Teddy's suicide was noble but should have stayed and fought for his beliefs. Mm. Well, there you go, Chris. Yeah. Couldn't vote for Man in Black after such cruelty to so many people. Bernard expressed one emotion all episode, anguished, confusion.
2: Yes, but he does it so well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Emily died, but overall irrelevant to the show.
2: Oh, I don't know if I agree there. Irrelevant to the bigger narrative, but not to the impact it's going to have on the Man in Black. So I was a close second to go with her. I think you're going to see that affecting his storyline in a huge way moving forward. It's just we didn't get that all wrapped up here.
1: And Melly replied to Kirk saying, I see what you mean. I still gave it to the man in black because he seems woke now, whether he is now a host or not.
2: Very well said. I agree. Fanatically correct says Teddy for saying, Fuck this. LOL. And George R. Binks says, At least we learned Dolores can still feel. Oh, yes. that's
1: true. I like that. Libby writing to us at CKC Podcast. Going with Teddy. You could see how much he loved Dolores, but he loved who he was more. Such an important lesson in itself.
2: Yeah, I think who he was, but in inextricable conjunction with that, who he was to Dolores, mm. that he no longer is. At Sirius Wilt said they are alluding to Man in Black being a host, but what if he thinks he's a host because he's lost all emotions? He's actually still human, but now he's not sure, especially after what he did in this episode.
1: So I see that the Clatchers are feeling like we are. Some feel that he is a host, some feel that he's not. And I guess that's on purpose, huh?
2: Of course. That's why we had to kind of cover both sides of that. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you can see where I'm leaning personally, but I would not be shocked with either outcome.
1: Brian wrote to us. Oh, Brian, he's the one who won this month's CKC gear giveaway. Oh, yes. Your gear is on its way, Brian. He wrote, honestly, I like Ford this episode. Showed truly how manipulative and crafty he is.
2: Yeah. Oh, me, yes, he is. Made me hate him more, though. <laughs> if I was going to give him for anything, it would have been yeah. that scene with Maeve.
1: He's like the devil on the right side of Bernard's shoulder. But... Kill
2: her. Is it the kind of devil that thinks what he's doing is to save them?
1: I believe that in Ford's head, everything he's doing is the right
2: thing for to them. do.
1: them, Yeah. yeah first children brian wrote to us one theory confirmed gave it to william or at least a reasonable facsimile <laughs>
2: yeah there's that cliffhanger we also have a couple of emails zuzzy because i pronounced it incorrectly last time thank you for the correct says about last episode maybe the reason Maeve's daughter doesn't have a name is because mave hasn't given her one yet maybe the little girl will truly become mave's daughter once she is woke and it will be like mave gave birth to her Just like any newborns are given a name by their parents, she won't really become Maeve's daughter until Maeve gives her her own name. Don't forget the opening title sequence shows a mother and a baby. That's a very interesting thought about their relationship. Although for the season finale, I don't know how much we're going to come back to Maeve and her daughter. I think they might kind of push most of that off until next season. So unfortunately, it might be a long wait to find out. Nikki wrote in on this Man in Black controversy to say she thinks he's real. The more I think about it, I think the show wants us to see the Man in Black is a Delos experiment type. But that would severely undercut so many of his actions, especially killing his daughter. I think because of the tech he's created, he's been questioning the nature of his reality for a long time. And he's really snapped now. So he has to check if he's got any robot parts in there. I think it would be a relief for him to find out he wasn't truly himself. But I don't think he'll be cut that break. So definitely along the lines of what we were saying, if if he is a human. Um, If he's a human host, though, I still believe he has control over his actions and would still have to live with that decision of what he did there. But you're right, he might not see it that way.
1: He might blame Ford forever. Correct.
2: Correct. I, even
1: if that is his, even I think if he realizes, no matter
2: what, he's going to blame Ford blame forever, it. honestly. Uh, last week, Arthur wrote in to say he thinks the Valley Beyond is a giant server where human consciousness can live forever. Sort of like the cradle, but much bigger. So right on, Arthur, for calling that. He also said since they failed integrating James Delos's consciousness into reality, they are now testing the man in black who has uploaded his consciousness in Westworld before fully unveiling the valley beyond for all the other humans who paid to live there forever. However, Ford's awakened hosts are also trying to be free of Westworld by entering the new world. He bullet points that with, when the bodies of hosts are found completely wiped clean in the valley, that could be because they've transferred their personalities and memories into the new digital world and have no need for bodies. So this is more along your theory. They're never going to upload. They're just going to live there in the forge. Also, the valley would be filled with water because, like the cradle, huge servers underground need some sort of coolant to surround it so it doesn't overheat. This flooding could have been released and timed with the turning on of the valley's systems. That's a really good argument for that side of things.
1: Absolutely. And you were talking about the man in black wanted to set fire to it, and maybe he does set fire to it, and then Bernard, to save save it, it, floods it. Yeah. I wonder. Could be. So many things it could be. They better not leave us on a cliffhanger on that. I swear oh, to God. Oh,
2: <laughs> I'll be real angry. I'm, go- I'm willing to let it go to the finale. Yeah. But I need some answers yeah. next time.
1: Give us a payoff.
2: I also wanted to give a quick note that we got our Delos management alerts from Aiden. We had Decode the Chaos, which was a behind-the-scenes video of creating Maeve. Pretty cool. A link to take us to the Mesh Network, where there were more Bernard memory videos to place, but this time only a few. So they had all the ones previously that we were supposed to put in chronological order. Mm -hmm. Then a space. So I put the right ones in because there's only like five this time. Then it shows that there's one box, one red box that says data missing. (laughs) And then it moves to the final scenes with Stubbs on the beach, dead Ford, dead hosts in the water, the mesa where Hale asks Bernard if he knows where the Abernathy file is, them discovering the room with multiple Bernards, And hail waterboarding Bernard. So they've shown us that the previous events lead us all the way up, but there's still that chunk, which we know will happen in the finale. Also at Delos Incorporated, there is that room with the video logs. Now there's additional ones that are light blue that show older men in black, whereas the younger William ones were dark blue. And we see some of those pivotal scenes that took place this time with the man in black and his wife and daughter.
1: I find it curious that they're putting it in the room that James Delos was. And I don't want to stray too much, but could that mean something?
2: (laughs) Not curious at all. And we have to go through that blue door Mm -hmm. when we first click on the site.
1: And that room, remember, is the fidelity testing. The
2: human host room where there are memories and distinctly separated for William. Mm. one color Catalog. the young William scenes and one the older man in black with different colors.
1: That's what I'm saying. I'm emotionally swaying back and forth, back and There's forth. There's
2: just so much leaning towards that that I almost feel I'll be more frustrated if he's not
1: Yeah, a because human host. these
2: were so many false leads onto that. It's not just a little trickery. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the biggest thing I have is that interview with Patino. Now this isn't a secret because anybody can go on to the hbo website and look it up but in case you don't want to hear his thoughts on what this could mean i'm just going to give you that warning it's nothing real different from what we've been talking about so far and so robert patino is the writer of this episode he says we might consider the possibility the man in black may have been undergoing a steady process of vanishing in an emotional capacity ever since he stepped foot in the park and this is just the culmination of that So that's the idea of there was something wrong in there all along and the park was just the trigger. Or, he says, alternately, the man in black might not be his true self at all. If his secret project of watching and decoding the guests only to copy them actually works, that would immediately mean the chances of this being the man's base self are very, very small. If that's not a red flag, I don't know what is, but I'm going to keep going. He also goes on to describe... Everything we've seen in this episode. On the outside, the man in black looks like a salt of the earth kind of guy, yet he harbors this profound darkness, carefully controlled in the real world. The only one who's noticed is his wife, Juliet. She knows what's going on with her husband is something much deeper. Perhaps he never loved her. Perhaps he's incapable of love. But up to this point, she could only feel the darkness. That's what we discussed. There was nothing quantifiable to bolster her suspicions. Until she found this card and heard the truth about him that night. Considering all that, the book ending of his speech really served to underscore how thoroughly haunted the Man in Black is by this one moment. It highlights the subjectivity of memory and how the nature of events of our past, as opposed to the actual sequence, is what stays with us. In this way, the bookend also presents a perhaps contradictory idea, which is that the events of this night might constitute the foundation on which the Man in Black's character entirely rests. They might be what gave rise to the character we have come to know as the Man in Black. In other words, a cornerstone of sorts. Hmm. Now, if you think about it like that, it totally makes sense. We refer to him as William when he was young and coming to the park. All of a sudden, one day, there was a stain. He woke up and it was there. How did it get there? What happened to me? From that point on, he's referred to as the man in black. And he does these things that are villainous, and his own wife thinks, how could I have been duped? If he was created into a human host and still given this cornerstone, now the cornerstone almost becomes blown out. It's the most important thing about him, and it's his wife's suicide.
1: We've seen cornerstones are often the painful. And so
2: that's the entire basis of this new character, which is, you know... Somewhat darker. He doesn't have all of that hope inside of him. He has the suffering.
1: So Dolores' cornerstone would be Teddy killing himself.
2: Oh, I suppose, but I think she's already woke. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if she can go on that separate journey now, or if she's just ready. Like, could she just take her pearl out and put it in a human host body? Good to go.
1: Right, because she's a host. Host. She wasn't a human first. Correct. As, we don't. As need far to as we know.
2: Copy. You could just pick right. up that pearl and plop it in there. Maybe they're not interchangeable. That could present a hurdle. But anyway, I thought that...
1: Well, now I'm convinced.
2: Patino black. basically just told us. Yeah. He said he's not his base self. This memory could be a cornerstone. I mean, how do they even let this guy say that?
1: Unless, yeah, I don't know. That
2: would be the biggest...
1: So, a human host. ...throw off Let's if go that's with that. not true. And that black stain is... For it's coding.
2: I don't know. It still doesn't explain what sickness he's spreading and how. But if he's a human host and can interact with them in a way that humans can't, he could be passing something to them. Is it the darkness inside of him that stayed with him and now is almost an infection? Is every single host he interacted with infected with that issue now? I mean... He's interacted in a very serious way with Dolores and Maeve, two of our main characters, and you know surely that's going to come about in one way or another by the end. So I know that was a lot. I don't know if we cleared things up or confused you more, but I hope we covered everything and you enjoyed it. The last thing we have to talk about is our next on for episode 10. If you are afraid of spoilers, we will see you next time. Please don't forget to tune in for the finale. Episode 10, which is going to be called The Passenger, Has a confusing preview, Jason.
1: Very cool, though. Very intense. I love that background noise.
2: It is structured the way we've been getting the previously ons, but we didn't have that for the next ups quite. Um, So there's a lot of flashes. It's hard to figure out what's happening. We see a bull rampaging through the mesa. We see Hector and Armistice, so we're finally going to come back around (laughs) to them. They're in the mesa. Um, Dolores is saying that which is real is irreplaceable. Coming back to something we heard earlier this season. She also says, this is the end. Nothing else is in the way now. Oh boy. Dolores. She goes on to say, we will win. I can see the bottom. The bottom. The bottom. Of the valley or the bottom is in, I can see all the way down now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Ford says, there's only one question left to ask.
1: So all of these, we see clips. It looks like Dolores is in the forge. She sees herself. We've seen something very similar in the cradle. So it's very reminiscent of that. We see a young Logan there. We see James Delos.
2: Oh, yeah. We're going to see everyone.
1: So that's for sure.
2: The human cradle, if you will. Yes,
1: yes. But so is that where she is now? Is that where they all are? The ones that we said we haven't seen flooded? Um, and how did she get in there? And how, yes. Can and a we, regular host just go in there? And the, one of the clips, I'm not sure, it was an aerial shot of two people on horses. They're definitely in the valley before it's flooded. Now they're in the depths of it. It looks like the Man in Black and Dolores are together. So I'm very curious about that. They show, of course, a clip of Bernard, but it's always the same clip. It's just like him looking like... Ooh. Dazed and
2: confused. <laughs>
1: and we see... The water coming up, mm. the beginning of that flood. But what does that mean? We still don't know.
2: One final thought about this. If you think about the terminology, the place for the host was the cradle. When you think the cradle? You think of an object that keeps a newborn or an innocent child safe. Or you think of the metaphor for the cradle of life where it all begins. The human place is called the forge.
0: Mm.
1: Where you're forging something.
2: That's where something's being created. And Mm. if you go back to the metaphors to Greek mythology we've been talking about all season long, the forge is most well-known for being the place where Hephaestus, the blacksmith god, creates things. A big portion of that is creating weaponry for the gods. And even further back, before he took it over, you had the Cyclopes and the Hundred-Handed Ones working at the forge, and they created the first weapons for the Olympian gods, the Triton for Poseidon, the lightning bolt for Zeus. It's not necessarily a bad place, but it is a place where the gods were given tools that could potentially be harmful, and I think that could bring up a lot of great metaphors for humans.
1: So, very excited. Hopefully, they don't do a bait-and-switch on us. Hopefully, they don't leave too much of a cliffhanger or at least leave us a new cliffhanger. Answer the questions that we've had for 10 weeks.
2: Answer the questions, damn it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm very excited for next week. This should be fun. Clatchers, thank you so much for coming on the ride with the CKC podcast. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, at CKC podcast. Facebook, Coffee Clatch Crew. Check us out on Patreon. Give us a month. See if you dig it. Remember, there's over two days worth of content there. Movie reviews, bonus podcasts, CKC gear. And while you're doing your shopping, go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on the Amazon link, use that link to do your regular shopping. It doesn't cost you anything. Just let Amazon know that we sent you there and they give us a little bit.
2: And last but not least, remember to rate and review us on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing, it helps us to get more eyes on the podcast.
1: And a big shout out to Focus Church, the cheap mathematician, and M Flynn23 for your awesome reviews. We appreciate it. Till next week. This round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.